Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Historic Pinstripe Show, where we talk about Yankees baseball and their history in every episode. Again, my name is Brian, and I am a die-hard Yankees fan and have been since I was about seven years old. Today's episode is on the top five Yankees right fielders of all time and why. And again, you can feel free to share any of your top fives, um, and it, uh, you can feel free to share them um, with our email at historicpinstripes at gmail.com. You can also feel free to share it on Twitter at historicnyy or on Facebook or anywhere else you see us. Um, uh, so without any further deliberation, let's start off this episode with the honorable mentions in center field for the top five right fielders. The first guy I wanted to mention was Lou Pinella, otherwise known as Sweet Lou. Um, most people probably remember him as the manager for the Seattle Mariners. Most recently, I believe he was manager of the Chicago Cubs, um, and also the Tampa Bay Devil Rays, uh, before they became the Tampa Bay Rays, of course, uh, um, Joe Madden. When Joe Madden took over, uh, I think it was around 07 or 08, he took over. And I think that's right around there is when they, I think it was 08, he took over. And then they, they took off right after that. And that's where they dropped the name Devil and they just became the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, but anyways, um, Lou Pinella, uh, he was actually a pretty darn good baseball player. Played in the 70s. He came to the Yankees after playing for the Kansas City Royals. I believe he did play for Kansas, uh, for Cleveland um, and another team too, uh, but it was very briefly. It was only like a few games, five or six games or so. Um, but most of his games came with Kansas City and then New York. He played uh, most of his career with New York, um, 1974 to 1984. Um, uh, most of the, his better years were probably in Kansas City. But, I mean, he did have a few very good years with the uh, Yankees um, in the late 70s, or especially in the mid to late 70s, I guess. He was a right-handed hitter right fielder. Um, he did play left field a little bit, but mostly right field. There were a couple of years, I think it was 78 and 79 in 1980 that he played uh, most, mostly left field. But from 75 to 77, he played mostly right field and 81 to 83, he played mostly right field. Um, and he also made one all-star game, 1972 with the Kansas City Royals. He was a rookie of the year as well in 1969, which I did not realize. Um, but, of course, that was with the Kansas City Royals. He played 11 seasons with the Yankees. Um, and in his, in his Yankees career, anyway, um, he had 1,037 games played, 3,500 um, or more played appearances. He also had 971 hits, 57 home runs with the Yankees. He had um, over 400 RBIs, um, 276 strike, strikeouts, uh, 295 batting average. So he was a pretty, pretty, very good baseball player. He was very consistent. Um, he wasn't a home run hitter, but of course, you know, the with the Yankee Stadium, especially back then, um, the dimensions were a little bit different. Actually, I think it was like 310 down the line in right field at that time um, in the 70s. However, uh, Lupinello was not a home run hitter anyway, especially, but when, when you have to deal with the Death Valley, which is what they call uh, left center field in Yankee Stadium. You know, it kind of makes it hard to hit home runs out. And I, I'm sure he, he did hit a lot of doubles. Actually, one year, I think it was 78, he had 34 doubles, which was a career high for him. Uh, he actually did lead the league in doubles in 1972 with Kansas City, the one year that he made the All-Star team. He had 33. He had 34, like I said, in 78. Um, he hit at least 277 with the Yankees um, um, every single season. And um, 
the the 277 batting average came in 1981 the um which was the strike year so it was a limited amount of games um and he also had four seasons with the Yankees that he hit 302 or better um so he was a very consistent hitter like I said and in his entire career he had a um wins above replacement of 12.5 and wins above replacement is just basically a stat that just shows you it's not like a perfect stat or anything it's just it just tell, tells you it's kind of like a guide to show how good a player is um how much better a player is over just any other major league average player so Lupinello was better than just just your average player um for the most part throughout his entire career um uh he also in his entire career he had over 5800 at bats 1705 hits in his entire career um a 291 batting average, 102 home runs, a 109 OPS plus. So um, overall, he was probably a little bit more consistent with the Yankees, but um, it was it was about about even with the Yankees and the Royals throughout his career. His best seasons came in 1977, 78, and 79. I would say 77 though he only played 103 games, 369 plate appearances. Um, he had a very good season. He had 112 hits. He also had a 330 batting average. And, uh, 12 home runs, which is a career high, 45 RBIs, and um, he actually only struck out 31 times in 369 plate appearances, which is very, very good, especially when you consider how many times players strike out today. Um, of course, it's a different kind of different style, a little bit, even compared to guys in the 70s to now. Um, also, in the 1978, he ended up playing a few more games, 130 games actually, 513 plate appearances. Um, he had 148 hits um, that season. Like I said, he led the league in doubles with 34 in 1978. He had six home runs, 69 RBIs, only struck out 36 times. Um, and also Lupinella had a 314 batting average in 1978 as well with the 129 on-base plus slugging adjusted, um, which is, um, you know, like I said, 100 is league average for on-base plus slugging adjusted and 129 is well above average. Um, so he had a very good season that year. 1970, same amount of games, 130, 491 plate appearances. He had 137 hits, 11 home runs, 69 RBIs, 31 strikeouts in 491 plate appearances. And he had a 297 batting average and a 320 on base percentage. His on base plus looking adjusted was right around average, 101. Um, so he, he had a pretty good career. And, and actually, when he got to the Yankees, he was 30 years old. So the fact that he did so well with the Yankees at his age, like he was already past his prime for the most part throughout his Yankees career, except for like the first three, maybe four years. Um, but Lupinello was a very good player. He actually even made a very good catch in 1978, which a lot of fans, I'm sure, will remember um, either watching or seeing highlights of um i think it's actually on youtube um and actually i i shared it on our facebook page the historic pinstripe show um so but you can feel free to go check it out on youtube too if you'd like um, it was the 1978 tiebreaker game when the yankees and the red sox played uh, a one-game playoff because they were tied in the al east and um it was two to nothing sixth inning um there was uh, i think there was uh two outs i believe but i'm not positive um and uh, Lupinello made 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 the uh, the last out in the Sunfield. He was going back toward the uh, the right field porch in Fenway Park because they have a little short porch there. Um, uh, it wasn't that close to the, to the pesky pole, but it was 
it was going back toward that area where it's sometimes it can get to be a little bit a little bit tricky especially with the fans over there and he made a nice catch kind of a basket style catch and um right near the wall and that was the end of the inning and, it, and that was in a day game too so which is um Fenway Park right field is actually the sun field kind of like kind of like left field and Yankee Stadium is the sun field so that was not an easy catch for him to make um and uh, 1976 to 1981, he played in the postseason with the Yankees. I think he played his entire career. He only played in the postseason with the Yankees. Um, and, of course, he ended his career with the Yankees. Um, but in the postseason, um, he played 44 games, 145 plate appearances, 43 hits, three home runs, 19 RBIs. He had a 305 batting average, 10 strikeouts, and a .41 win probability added, which um, – it's always better to have a positive probability added because it shows that the player helped the team more more than they hurt the team. Not that, not necessarily that they would hurt the team because um, when you're playing in the postseason, a lot of times it's not when you get the hits. Like it doesn't always matter how many hits you get. Obviously, it's better to get hits, of course. Um, but I mean, it's it's a matter of when you get the hits. It's like it's the timely hitting and um and the, just the moments that you can get him. Um, for instance, uh, one moment that he had was in 1978 in the World Series Game Four. He had a game-winning RBI single off of Bob Welch, and uh, and and the Yankees won the game, of course. And and actually, Bob Welch, if you don't remember, this was before that season, but later on, Bob Welch in 1990, he ended up going on to have one of the better seasons um, a pitcher has had. And really, actually, he's he had 127 games, which um, no one else has been able to do since he did that back in 1990. Um, and probably if you think about it, the way pitchers are being used nowadays and, you know, kind of rightfully so, because, you know, as a manager or general manager, you don't want the pitchers going out there and throwing out their arms and throwing too many innings and stuff like that. At the same time, though, it, it's kind of it is 27 wins is, is, is something you don't see anymore. I think there have been a couple guys who have I think Verlander might have had 24 wins. Um, and there, there are a couple of other players, too, or pitchers. Um, that have had a lot of win, uh, wins like that, but I don't think there's anybody has who's had 27 wins since Bob Welch in 1990. But anyways, that was one of his biggest hits. Uh, he also had a nine-game hitting streak in the postseason from 1977, the American League Championship Series against the Kansas City Royals in Game 1, and it lasted until 1977 World Series in Game 4. Um, so he had, he definitely was, he definitely was not. Um, he was not afraid of being in pressure situations. And uh, later on, of course, like I said, he became a manager. The first team he managed, of course, was the New York Yankees, 1986 to 1988. Um, he had a winning percentage of 552, um, so he, he, which is very good. And obviously, that's why the Yankees, uh, that's why Lupinella ended up going um, on to manage the Reds. Of course, quite a few other teams, but he ended up leading the Reds in 1990. To a World Series, and I, and even with Seattle, like he, he really um, helped Seattle, the Seattle Mariners before Seattle, um, before Lupinello went to Seattle, he really kind of turned them around and uh, made them a really good club. Anyways, moving on, we got Dave Winfield. Dave Winfield was six foot six, two hundred twenty pounds. Um, so kind of a, uh, he was kind of like the Aaron Judge before Aaron Judge. Um, uh, Dave Winfield actually, I think he was a three sport player in high school. He was drafted in all three sports, I believe, but he chose baseball, of course. I believe he was drafted by San Diego as well. Um, I, I forget where he went. I think it might have been Arizona. 
um, in college, but I'm not positive on that. Anyways, he was a 12-time All-Star, played most of his career with the Yankees, um, which is kind of sad in a way because he kind of had a falling out with George Steinbrenner, the the owner, of course. Um, and in the 1980s, it was kind of a tough time for the Yankees. Um, not necessarily because they did have some good teams, but George Steinbrenner was still kind of, um, he was just very fiery, a lot more fiery than he, he became in like after he was suspended or actually banned um, because of the whole Dave Winfield situation. In a lot of ways, it seems like he learned a lot from the whole situation, but but he definitely seemed like a different guy when he came back. Moving back to Dave Winfield, he was a seven-time Gold Glove winner. He actually won five Gold Gloves with the Yankees in his uh, nine seasons with them. He, won, he played 22 seasons in his career. Um, uh, he also, in his entire career, he had over 12,000 at-bats and played almost 3,000 games, which is a lot of games. Um, 3,110 hits, 465 home runs, 1,833 RBIs, a 283 batting average in 22 seasons, 130 OPS plus, um, which is well above average, like I said. Played for the Padres, the Yankees, the Twins, the Blue Jays, the Angels, and the Indians. The Angels were actually the team he got traded to in 1990 after 20 games. And also, um, in his nine seasons with the Yankees, from 1981 to 1988 but really he played until 1980 well he really played until 1990 but 89 he actually didn't even play a game which I'm not sure if that was because of injury or if it was something to do with the George Steinbrenner stuff I'm not I'm not positive uh, um but anyways in his nine seasons he played about he played over 1100 games with the Yankees um and he had 5,071 hits I mean uh plate appearances 1,300 hits um 205 home runs with the Yankees, 818 RBIs, 290 batting average, 356 on base percentage, and a 139 OPS plus, which is very good. Um, again, five gold gloves with the Yankees um, and two with the San Diego Padres, where he played before the Yankees. Um, he had 100 RBIs um, or more for five straight seasons and 116 RBIs in 1983. And I think a big reason why uh, George Steinbrenner um, you know he 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 didn't um but he didn't particularly like Dave Winfield, but I don't believe it was like because of race. It was more because of um you know because Dave Winfield was a big guy, um and I think uh, George Steinbrenner saw like he was paying him a lot of money. I think at the time Dave Winfield was making the most money in baseball. He was making twenty three million dollars for ten years, which at the time was a lot. I think it was I think it was the highest. I'm not positive if it was or not, but. Um, he expected a lot more out of Winfield. And even though Winfield was putting up very, very good numbers, as, as you're going to hear in a little bit, um, he, even though he was putting up very good numbers, it, was, like, it wasn't what George Steinbrenner expected. And Steinbrenner, he demanded like greatness from certain players, especially, and if he expected really great numbers from you, like Alex Rodriguez, for instance, even though Alex Rodriguez didn't really feel the... Uh, he didn't really... Like, George, I'm sure, didn't get on him quite like Dave Winfield because I think George Steinbrenner kind of, you know, he kind of knew by then, you know, to back off a little bit. Also, um, in 1982, um, that was the most amount of home runs he hit, 37 home runs, which probably to George Steinbrenner, considering Winfield was six foot six, he probably expected a lot more. However, I mean, 37 home runs is 37 home runs. Um, he uh, played 140 games, 106 RBIs, had a 280 batting average, 331 on base percentage, and a 142 on base plus slugging adjusted. Um, 
So he's definitely one of the best in the game at that time. 32 home runs in 1983, 152 games played, 116 RBIs, like I mentioned before. Um, he had a 142 OPS plus again um, that year. 15 stolen bases, which is that's uh, another thing too about Winfield. He could he actually really could run, kind of like very much like Aaron Judge. Um, so I mean that, that's that's a, that's that was one of the things about Dave Winfield. He wasn't just a power hitter, and I'm sure Winfield probably prided himself on not just being a power hitter, but also being a guy that could run um, and play defense as well. Um, and obviously winning five gold gloves or seven gold gloves in his career, um, you, don't, you don't just win that by accident. Um, in 1984, of course, that was the year he hit 340, and he, him and Dave, Don Mattingly were locked in a, uh, a very good uh, race for the for the batting crown that year in September because the Yankees were out of it as a team and I guess fans were coming to the park. Um, I don't really remember. I was very, very young at that time, but I remember I've seen it, um, you know, highlights of it and all that stuff. And I've seen, uh, if you watch the Yankeeographies um, on the S Network, or I think they they have DVDs of it too. Um, but if you watch Don Mattingly's Yankeeography, I'm not sure if they have one from Winfield. I would imagine they might not. But anyways, um if you watch the Yankeeography, they talk about how Don Mattingly and Dave Winfield were locked in kind of a kind of a back and forth with the media, just the way that they would talk. They, they like every day there would be something in the depending on how Dave Winfield did and how Don how Don Mattingly did the previous game. And there certain like there would be fans that would prefer Don Mattingly or Winfield. Um, obviously, Mattingly ended up winning it, and you know, Matt, Mattingly was—he was a Yankee. He uh, was homegrown with the Yankees, and I think, at least from my perspective, I—I I, um, tend to—I uh, tend to latch on to guys um, who who are homegrown, like a Brett Gardner or Don Mattingly, um, or even just guys like like especially Don Mattingly because he was to me anyway—he's my favorite player. Um, I don't remember '84 so much because I was only two years old at that time. However, Don Mattingly was a—he was a a, um, a very hard-nosed player, played with a lot of grit, um, and he really like you could see that he really just loved the game of baseball, and I think that's what fans really gravitated to, and he just he just uh, he just loved the game, and you could see that. Um, not that Winfield didn't. I mean, Winfield did too. I'm sure, obviously, because that's why he played the game. Um, and also, I'm sure the fact that Winfield was making so much money and, you know, sometimes, um, especially $23 million in 10 years, $23 million is $23 million, even though that's not what players make today, but it's still a lot of money, especially for back then anyway. And, um, you know, Dave Winfield was a, um, so he was a, he was a big star at that time. And sometimes with stars and when money comes into it, you know, they're going to, tend to root for the underdog like Don Mattingly at that time um but anyways um moving on that year he also Winfield hit 19 home runs in 141 games again he hit 340 that year just missed out the, on the batting title to Don Mattingly and um Winfield also had a 154 on base plus slugging adjusted as well that year um 1988 he was fourth in the MVP um it might have been his best year um besides home runs but it might have been one. Of, it was one of his best years for sure. He had 149 games played, 631 plate appearances, 25 homers, 100 RBIs, 107 RBIs, 322 batting average, 398 on base percentage, and a 159 on base plus slugging adjusted, which is very good. Definitely one of the best in the game at that at that 
in, in the eighties anyway. Um, so it's, it's really a shame because he probably would have ended up going into the hall of fame as a Yankee, but I mean, that's just the way it goes. Um, but anyways, of course, like I said, 1990, um, he only played 20 games, ended up getting traded. I think there was something with the trade that the Yankees did, but they probably just wanted to get him out of there. Um, because of all the issues that Steinbrenner was having with Winfield and Winfield with Steinbrenner. So the first trivia question today is, who was Dave Winfield traded for, and, and where did he get traded to? Um, and you can feel free to tweet us at HistoricNYY. You can tweet us the answer, or you can just email us at HistoricPinstripes at gmail.com. And again, moving on, William Henry Keeler, who is otherwise known as We Willie Keeler, who's a Hall of Famer. He actually played way back in like the late 1800s, early 1900s for the, for the Yankees, but they were act- back then they were called the New York Highlanders. He played for quite a few different teams too. He played for Brooklyn, um, which they weren't, I think they were like the, the Spas or something like that. But um, And he played for Baltimore as well. Um, he actually played seven seasons with the New York Yankees or New York Highlanders, um, 1903 to 1909. 1903, played 132 games, 584 plate appearances, 94 runs, 160 hits, 32 RBIs, no home runs, 12 strikeouts, um, and 584 at-bats, which is amazing. But at the same time, it was a different game back then. They didn't um, they didn't play, because like, Babe Ruth was the first player that really came, that um, he kind of changed the way that the game was played. Um, and he, he made... He made it more exciting to see uh, players hit home runs. That's when they, that's when baseball kind of changed a little bit more, and it just kind of, especially when Ted Williams came. But Ted, even though Ted Williams was definitely more of a pure hitter, just like Joe Maggio, um, but they still were kind of just overall, they could just kind of do it all. Um, but players like Wee Willie Keeler, it was um, at first baseball was more of a strategic type game, even more so than it already is, because it is very much a strategic game. But um, back then, it, that's kind of where they prided themselves on, and they and like sacrifice hits, um, uh, hit and run, all that stuff was very very important to them. Stolen bases, um, getting on base, his uh, career on base percentage, um, in nineteen or his on base percentage in nineteen oh three, I mean, was three sixty eight, um, which is very good. He had uh, two batting titles, um, that he won in his career. One of them was in eighteen ninety seven. With Baltimore, he hit over 400, 424 for the season. I'm not sure how many games they played um, back then. He had a 383 batting average in 1898 with Baltimore as well. Um, the most amount of strikeouts that he had in one season was 13 twice, 1905 and 1902 with Brooklyn. And also, like I said, he was a Hall of Famer. He was actually only five foot four and 140 pounds, um, and. Uh, the, he one time he led the league in sacrifice hits with 42, which is quite a bit, and that was in 1905 um, for the New York Highlanders. He had uh, played five seasons, um, uh, and he had a batting average of 300 or higher. And the most home runs he ever hit was four in 1905, and he was in the top 10 in home runs that year. So that's 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 to put things in perspective of how things were. Um, that that's pretty pretty. Um, pretty interesting he also played 149 games that year he had 651 plate appearances four home runs like i said 38 rbis 14 stolen bases only struck out 13 times 302 batting average 357 on base and a 119 on base plus slugging adjusted so we Willie keeler is definitely a guy i wanted to mention um so another guy is 
um, a guy who played in the 50s, uh, Hank Bauer. He was a right-handed hitter. Helped the Yankees to seven World Series titles. Um, he played under Casey Stengel um, pretty much throughout his career. He was six feet, uh, 192 pounds, was a three-time All-Star. Um, his All-Star appearances came in 1952, 53, and 54. Um, his wins above replacement overall throughout his career was 27.3, um, which is pretty darn good. Um, shows you that he was definitely one of the better players in baseball. Um, he played 14 seasons in his career. I think he finished with Kansas City, the Kansas City A's. Um, and they ended up becoming the Oakland A's, I believe, eventually. Um, he played 12 seasons though with the Yankees. In his Yankee career, played over 1,400 games, had over 5,300 plate appearances. He had over 1,300 hits, 158 home runs, 659 RBIs, and a 277 batting average, and a 115 on-base plus slugging adjusted, which is um, above average. And um, also, he never struck out in a single season more than 72 times, which is um, very good. Um, it's just something that is kind of kind of cool to see because um, nowadays it's it's uh, something that that um, makes if you strike out, it's not as big of a deal, which is fine. But it's um, it's kind of it's kind of interesting just to see because that, the the game was a little bit different back then. Um, and now you're you're it's not that you're allowed to strike out yeah you kind of are it's kind of more acceptable to strike out nowadays um but anyways his debut season came in 1948 at 25 years old played only 19 games though um his real breakout season came the next year in 1950 um actually two years after played 130 games in 1950 458 played appearances um he had 13 home runs 70 RBIs and he also had a 320 batting average, 380 on base percentage, and a 118 on base plus slugging adjusted. Um, uh, he also played six seasons. Uh, in six seasons, anyway, he had 128 or more games played. 1956, he had his most home runs of his career 26, 84 RBIs, um, had a 102 on base plus slugging adjusted. Um, so it's definitely, I would say, one of his better seasons. His best seasons, probably 1952 and 53, maybe 55 as well. But 52, we played 141 games, 615 plate appearances, 17 homers, and 74 RBIs with a 298 batting average. Um, and there's a career-high OPS plus of 132. Um, so he was definitely one of the better players in baseball at that time. But at least better right fielders, anyway. I don't think he was ever really a... Um, he wasn't really ever, like like a Mickey Mantle or Joe Maggio or anything, but it was definitely a very good baseball player. Um, and in 1953, he batted 304, had a 394 on-base percentage, 10 home runs, 57 RBIs. Again, he was a right-handed hitter, played 133 games too. So, I mean, because he was a right-handed hitter um, playing in Yankee Stadium, I'm sure that took away some home runs from him. 55, he actually hit 20 home runs, 30, uh, 53 RBIs in 139 games, and he had a 278 batting average. Um so, so sometimes you know, Yankees, uh, certain stadiums will take some take home runs away from players. But at the same time, though, I mean, it also increased the doubles and the triples that he might have gotten as well. Um, and in the postseason, Hank Bauer, um, overall, like if you look at his batting average, it probably he probably wasn't wasn't as good. However, he did have a lot of. He did have a lot of clutch moments. He's still the longest hitting streak in postseason history today, although he is tied now with Derek Jeter and Manny Ramirez. Um, uh, but in his career, he's played 53 games in the postseason and 149 
uh, plate appearances, seven home runs. Um, he had a 245 average. And in 1956, World Series Game 1, that's when he started his 17-game hitting streak. Um, and it lasted until 1958 in the World Series um, in Game 3. And, of course, back then they didn't play any other postseason games. It was just World Series games. Um, and in those in those series, he had 24 hits during the streak and 76 at-bats, which is good for a 316 batting average during the streak. Six home runs and 16 RBIs. The last um, three games, he had three home runs um, in each of them uh, to, to finish his streak. And then 1951 in the World Series, Game Six, one of the uh, one of his biggest moments um, was a go-ahead three-run triple off of Dave Coslow, left-handed pitcher for the New York Giants, in the sixth inning, and the Yankees won the game four to one. Um, also, he had two home runs in the series. Uh, the World Series in 1958 off of Warren Spahn, which is, um, you know, anytime you can get a home run off of Spahn, he, he was uh, one of the toughest in baseball. He's a Hall of Famer, one of the best pitchers of all time. Um, he also had he had a go-ahead home run in Game 6, uh, or Game 1, rather, in 1958 World Series against Warren Spahn as well. Um, he had a go-ahead RBI double in the 1957 World Series Game 1, fifth inning off of Warren Spahn as well. So, for some reason, it seems like he had his number. Maybe it was righty-lefty, possibly. But, um, so, I mean, that just tells you that Hank Bauer, you can't always go by the numbers sometimes. Hank Bauer was definitely a clutch hitter um, just for, like, sometimes it's just the timely hitting that matters. Um, and if you get that hit in the key spot um, at the right time, that's what people remember, kind of like with Aaron Boone in 2003, Game 7 in the 11th inning. And... Uh, Moving on, another player I wanted to mention on the top five is Tommy Henrik. Um, he helped the Yankees to four World Series titles. Um, he was a left-handed hitter. He was six feet, 180 pounds. Um, he was also nicknamed the Clutch or Old Reliable as well. He had a 39.2 wins above replacement, which is very good. It just tells you again that he was one of the better players in baseball at that time. Um, he had 11 seasons for the Yankees. He missed three seasons, though, 1943, 44, and 45 due to the war, World War II. Um, and those are right in the middle of his prime, kind of like Joe DiMaggio did. Um, he led the league twice in triples after the war, 1947 and 48. Uh, he also had 13 and 14 triples, uh, respectively, in 1947 and 48. Um, and also, uh, in his career, he played over 1,200 games, 5,411 plate appearances, 183 home runs, 795 RBIs, 282 batting average, a 382 on-base percentage, and a 132 on-base plus slugging adjusted. His breakout season, um, he played 131 games, 595 plate appearances, 127 hits, 24 doubles, 7 triples, 22 home runs, 91 RBIs, and a 270 batting average. He had a 391 on base percentage and a 119 on base plus slugging adjusted. So, very good season uh, in, in uh, that year. And he also, his best season before the war um, was 1941. Now, 144 games, 632 plate appearances, 149 hits, 31 home runs, 85 RBIs, 40 strikeouts. Um, he didn't really strike out a whole lot um, in any single season, really. Uh, he had a 277 batting average, a 377 on base percentage, a 136 on base plus slugging adjusted, which is very good, well above average. Four four time All Star, and all all his All Star appearances came after the war, after 1945. 
1948, another one of his best seasons, 146 games played. He had 138 runs scored. I think that was also a career high for him. 25 home runs, 100 RBIs, 42 strikeouts, um, and uh, 674 at-bats or plate appearances for him that year, which is quite good. Um, it's pretty it's pretty incredible actually. Uh, he only struck he and he also walked 76 times, um, so he walked a lot more than he struck out. He had a 308 batting average and a 391 on base percentage with an on base plus slugging adjusted of 151. So and actually he was sixth in the MVP that year as well for for good reason too because he was definitely one of the best players in baseball at that time. Um, and in his career in the postseason helped the Yankees to four World Series. 21 games in the postseason, had a 333 on base percentage and a 262 batting average. Only struck out seven times in 94 plate appearances in the World Series and had 22 hits, four home runs, and eight RBIs. Best series was probably 1947 against the Brooklyn Dodgers. Seven games played, um, so he played all, all the games in the series. Had 10 hits, one home run, five RBIs, three strikeouts. And a 323 batting average, 364 on base percentage as well. Also, Tommy Hendrick had a nine-game hitting streak and a 12-game on base streak. The 12-game on base streak started um, a little earlier, I, I think about three games earlier than the nine-game hitting streak did in the postseason. Um, it was uh, 1941 to 1949 in the World Series, of course, because they didn't have any other uh, playoff rounds. 1944 in the World Series, Game 1, Actually, 1949 in the World Series Game 1 uh, versus the Dodgers. Um, Tommy Hendrick hit a walk-off home run off of Don Newcomb. And Don Newcomb ended up going 10 innings, too. So he hit it in the bottom of the 10th. Uh, the Yankees won the game one to nothing, And Allie Reynolds also went 10 innings as well. So, and he was the benefactor of the home run, of course. And Allie Reynolds only gave up two hits in 10 innings. No runs, four walks, and nine strikeouts, which is incredible. Allie Reynolds, of course, was a right-handed pitcher, starting pitcher, but he also was a relief pitcher, too. Um, he was very, very good. They they called him the Super Chief. Um, anyways, in 1947, Tommy Heinrich, World Series in Game 7, he had a go-ahead RBI single in the fourth inning off of Hank Berman, um, who was a right-handed pitcher, and the Yankees won the game and the series. Five, they won the game 5-2, to two, and, of course, they won the series um, four to three. So Tommy Heinrich is definitely one on this top five um, for for sure. Moving on is the next guy I wanted to mention was Paul O'Neill. Paul O'Neill was nicknamed the Warrior by George Steinbrenner because of the way he played and just the you know his style, uh, kind of like I was mentioning before about Don Mattingly. He was just very uh, he had a lot of grit to him and he showed his heart on his he wore his heart on his sleeve all the time. He never liked to make a note ever. Um, and he, he just, he loved the game. He was, he was very passionate. Um, he wanted to win. Um, and I think he was probably definitely, I'll bet, I would imagine he was one of George Steinbrenner's favorite uh, favorite players that he ever had on a team. Anyways, Paul O'Neill was a left-handed hitter, five-time All-Star, won the batting title in 1994. Of course, that was the strike year, um, the short, short year in 1994. They played 103 games. He had a 359 batting average. Um, in his career, he had a 38.3 wins above replacement, which is very good. His wins above replacement is right up there with Tommy Hendricks. He played 17 seasons in his career, nine seasons with the Yankees. And in his Yankees career, he played over 1,900 games. He had over 5,300 plate appearances. 
He had 1,426 hits, 185 home runs, 304 doubles, 858 RBIs, 710 strikeouts, and he also had a 303 batting average in his Yankees career as well. And 125 um, on-base plus looking adjusted. So he was very, very good with the Yankees. He was even better with the Yankees than he was with the Reds in, in his Reds career. Um, he did help the Reds, though, to win one World Series title. Um, of course, uh, and I think the year after 1991 was his best year with the Reds. And then after that, he kind of uh, faded off. He came to the Reds. Um, the, uh, the, the Yankees traded away Roberto Kelly to the Reds, who I think was an all-star that year. And Paul O'Neill had kind of, he, he had kind of tapered off like I just mentioned before. Um, but he, so it was basically just Paul O'Neill for Roberto Kelly. And obviously that ended up being one of the best trades the Yankees have ever made. Because um, I don't think Roberto Kelly did that. I th- he was a pretty good baseball player, but Paul O'Neill ended up being the better player. Um, but anyways, uh, Paul O'Neill, he had six seasons with the Yankees that he hit over 300, 1993 until 1998. Also, he, he only struck out 100 or more times just once in his career with the Yankees, and that was 103 times in 1998. Um, he had 18 or more home runs every season in New York. 24 or, or more home runs career was his career high in New York in 1998, and he had 28 home runs with the Cincinnati Reds in 1991. 1996, he made no errors, had 146 games played that year too. 2000, 140 games, two errors. Um, so I mean, he was a pretty pretty darn good right fielder. He um, he obviously wasn't one of the the quickest guys in the outfield. Um, but he was definitely he would make all the plays out there. Uh, he he'd be able to make the diamond catches. He um and it probably helped to having him out there every single day. He probably helped help the guys like Bernie Williams. Like if he there wasn't there was a play that he wasn't going to be able to make, somebody else would make it. And also I think I remember Paul O'Neill too. He was a, he had a pretty decent arm out there in right field as well, um, which also helps. Um, you know because right field in Yankee Stadium is not. Not not as uh, far as a lot of other right fields, but anyways, in the postseason, Paul O'Neill, uh, he, um, as most people know, Paul O'Neill was definitely a clutch hitter. Um, he had a two eighty four batting average in the postseason in eighty five games, three hundred and forty plate appearances, eighty five hits, eleven home runs, and thirty nine RBIs, and a three sixty three on base percentage. One of the some of the bigger moments that he might have had were nineteen ninety five American League Division Series Game Two. Against the Mariners, he had a game-tying home run off Norm Charlton in the seventh inning with two outs. Of course, the Yankees ended up winning that game. Um, game five in 1996, uh, Luis Polonia hits a fly ball to deep right center field in Atlanta, and he makes a great catch going back to the wall, and he pounds his fist on the wall. And, of course, the next game, they went on to win the World Series in six games against the Braves after going down 2-0 um, in the series after the first two games. And, actually, they... they uh, they were pretty much dominated in the first two games in 1996. Um, and actually, in Game Five of the '96 World Series, Paul, uh, the Yankees won the game one to nothing. I think that was the game John Smoltz and Andy Pettit uh, pitched, I believe. But anyways, um, Paul O'Neill had also had an 11-game hitting streak in the postseason from '96 in the World Series Game Six until 1998 in the American League Championship Series against the Indians in Game 2. And in Game 3, the game that he was hitless in was against Bartolo Colon, who pitched a complete game. And I think he only gave up like three hits. Um, and I he might have given up a couple runs 
but it wasn't many. It was it was like one one or two. I'm not, I don't even know if he might not have even given up a run. I'm not positive, but he he pretty much dominated the entire Yankee team for the most part anyway. Um, but th- then I guess after that, uh, after game from game four on in 1998 in the playoffs, he got a hit in every single other game. Um, 1999 American League Championship Series Game Two. He had a go-ahead two-run single as well in the seventh inning off a of Real Cormier, a left-handed pitcher for the Red Sox. So, I mean, he and he had he had a lot of other moments too in the postseason, but that's just some of them I wanted to mention. And another guy I wanted to mention was Roger Maris. Roger Maris helped the Yankees to two World Series titles. Um, he did win one with the Cardinals later in his career. He was six feet, 197 pounds. If you're not too familiar with him he was a two-time MVP um, he won the gold glove as well he was a seven-time all-star he was a uh, he threw right batted left of course um, from Fargo North North Dakota um, he had a cannon of an arm too great great defensive right fielder and a great defensive center fielder as well whenever they needed him to play center field for Mickey Mano because sometimes Mickey Mano didn't always um, like he would get hurt or if he had a tough night or whatever they would put Roger Maris out in center field. Um, so, anyways, Roger Roger Maris, his wins above replacement was 38.3 for his career. He actually started off with the Kansas City Athletics, and then he ended up going to the Yankees. And uh, I think he was traded there, but I'm not sure on that. Um, and he, after that, he ended up going to the St. Louis Cardinals, where he finished his career. Um, and in 12 and in seven seasons with the Yankees, he played 850 games. He had over 3,400 plate appearances, 520 runs scored, 797 hits, 203 home runs with the Yankees. This is for 1960 to 1966. He had 597 RBIs, a 265 batting average, and a 356 on-base percentage. He had 139 on-base plus slugging adjusted as well in his Yankees career in seven seasons. In 1960, um, he was the MVP. It was his. I. It was his first year with the Yankees. He. Uh, that's when he won his Gold Glove, as well. He played 136 games. He had a 300. He had 598 plate appearances, 98 runs scored, 141 hits, 31, 39 home runs, 112 RBIs, led the league, 65 strikeouts. He had a 283 batting average, 371 on base percentage, and a 160 on base plus slugging adjusted. So he was definitely one of the better. Um, players in baseball, of course, um, being the MVP, and um, and, and actually, uh, you know, that kind of from right from the start, like Roger Maris had the perfect swing for Yankee Stadium, being a, him, especially just him being a left-handed hitter. But he was naturally a pull hitter. He um, was a power hit, power guy mostly, and he was like a perfect fit for Yankee Stadium. And of course, that leads us to 1961 when he won the MVP. Uh, obviously, he hit the 61st home run, um, first guy to ever break. Babe Ruth's record. Of course, it um, it didn't come with a lot of like, because the media got so they put so much pressure on Roger Maris um, and even Mickey Mantle too, because Mickey had 54 home runs that year, but he got hurt the last month of the year, and it was basically all on Maris. And Maris was not like Mantle. Maris, Roger Maris was definitely a more private guy. And actually, there's a good movie um, if you haven't checked it out, which I think a lot of people probably have, a lot of Yankee fans probably have, but. It's definitely worth checking in, checking out, especially if you're a Yankee fan. It's called 61 by Billy Crystal. Um, it's a great movie. Um, I definitely recommend it. But it shows you how, just how, just what Roger Maris actually went through. Um, 
because he was definitely he definitely hated the spotlight. He didn't he didn't want to he just wanted to be part of the team, part of the guys. Um, and he didn't understand all the media attention. Like obviously he knew Babe Ruth was you know, you know he was a cult a cult hero basically. He was you know, um, but anyways it was it was just a very tough thing to, for him to go through at that time. Um, he had 61 home runs in 161 games in 1961. 141 RBIs led the league in RBIs as well. 94 walks that year, 67 strikeouts. He actually batted um, behind Mantle, I believe, that year. Um, and uh, his batting average was 269. He had a 372 on base percentage, and um, he had an on base plus slugging adjusted that year, his career high, 167. And of course, 1961 was his best year of basically of his career, uh, or I really ended it. Probably it was probably the best year of you could say the best year that anybody could ever really have for a power hitter. Anyway, um, he was never really the player that Mickey Mano or Joe DiMaggio were, but like that one season, he uh, he did have a season like a Mickey Mano or a Joe DiMaggio or somebody like that. Maybe not as um. You no, know, he didn't hit 300, but that really wasn't Roger Maris's, um That's not the way he played. He he was a power guy. Um, however, he still didn't strike a, a lot either. And actually, he did hit 283, and which is very very good. And most of his career it seems like he hit like 260, 270 a lot. But that year, um, that year was definitely by far his best year. It's probably one of the best years that any player could ever have. Anyways, moving on. 1960 to 1964, he had at least 23 home runs in his career. After 1964, though, that's when it kind of tailed off for Maris, and um, and then he ended up going, going on to, to uh, play for the St. Louis Cardinals and help them to a World Series in ni- in 1967. In the postseason, though, uh, in his career, played 41 games, had 171 plate appearances, six home runs, and 18 RBIs in the postseason. With the Yankees, he had five home runs in the postseason, 10 RBIs, and three doubles. In the 1961 World Series, Game 3 versus the Reds, he had a go-ahead home run in the ninth inning off of Bob Parkey, who was a right-handed pitcher, and the Yankees, of course, they won the series in five games, and they won that game in 3-2. Three, three to two. 1962 World Series, Game 3 versus the San Francisco Giants, um, Roger Maris had a go-ahead two-run single off of Billy Pierce, left-handed pitcher, and he scored Tommy Tresh and Mickey Mantle. Yankees won the game three to two, and they later would go on to win the series. I believe they won that in seven seven games, but I'm not positive. But um, so of course Roger Maris is definitely on the top five right fielders in Yankees history for sure, um, and especially that 1961 season was probably the best season other than the best season that any right fielder has ever had, besides um, Babe Ruth. Uh, so that's just how that at least that for that one year he was comparable to someone like a Babe Ruth or Joe DiMaggio. So, anyways, but let's move on to Reggie Jackson, otherwise known as Mr. October. He helped the Yankees to two World Series titles, and actually he won three World Series titles in a row with the Oakland A's. Um, in his career, he uh, played 21 seasons, had five seasons in New York. He had 563 home runs in his career, 2,820 games played. He had a 262 batting average, 356 on base percentage, a 139 on base plus slugging adjusted, and over 1,900 RBIs. 14-time All-Star, won the MVP in 1973 with the Oakland A's, 
was a two-time Silver Slugger. In 1980, with the Yankees, he was second in the MVP. He played 143 games over 600 at plate appearances, actually 601. Uh, he led the league in four, with 41 home runs that year, 111 RBIs. He had a 300 batting average, um, which I think was a career high for him, but definitely a career high with the Yankees. Um, he had a 398 on-base percentage and a 172 on-base plus slugging adjusted. So he had a great year that year, and he was very consistent as well. Um, and 1973, his other MVP year, he actually he actually hit uh, 293 that year, 32 home runs and 117 RBIs. So he also had a very good year that year as well. Um, and his Yankees career, he hit 281 as well. So the year he had in 1980, he was about almost 20 percentage points higher in his batting average um, than than he had in in his career. So that's that that tells you how good he was in 1980. Um, anyways, um, obviously one of the things that he did do a lot was strikeout, um, and actually he's the all-time strikeout leader. Um, I'm sure eventually somebody will break that because with the amount of times players strike out today, um, of course, I mean, strikeouts sometimes can be deceiving because, you know, especially a guy like Reggie Jackson, who was a power hitter, or even a guy like Roger Maris for that matter, even though Roger Maris would get on base in other ways too, um, Reggie Jackson was specifically a power hitter. That was his job um, to drive in runs. However, he did uh, try to drive in runs as, and as much as he could, um, uh, you know, with a single or double if he could, but his main job was to try to hit home runs, and um, sometimes when you're trying to hit home runs, you're going to strike out a lot. But anyways, the all-time record for strikeouts is 2,597, uh, which is Reggie Jackson, um, but I'm sure that will be broken eventually someday. Um, in his postseason career, of course, he's Mr. October, played 11 seasons in the postseason with the Oakland A's, the New York Yankees, and I think he might have played with a couple other teams in the postseason. The Angels, I believe, maybe in 1986, but I'm not positive. But anyways, in his postseason career, he played 77 games, 318 plate appearances, 78 hits, 18 home runs in the postseason. I think he had tied at that time Mickey Mantle for the most home runs in the postseason. Now it's I think it's Manny, Manny Ramirez and Bernie Williams, I believe, but the, I'm not sure if that's changed recently. Um, he had uh, a 278 batting average in the postseason as well. In the World Series, that's when he played his, his best. Um, you know, he was overall he was just, he was he was phenomenal in the postseason. But in the World Series as a whole, he played 27 games and had a 357 batting average, 116 plate appearances, 10 home runs, 24 RBIs. Um, he had a 457 on base percentage. Um, he was just he was f phenomenal in the postseason. There, there's really not many players that like uh, Mr. October. I mean, I think the closest guy, the only guy I can really think about that might be even close is Derek Jeter. Um, maybe, and Babe Ruth, too, I guess, too, as well. Uh, so Babe Ruth, Reggie Jackson, Derek Jeter. Even Manny Ramirez, too, was... I remember him. He was always very good in the postseason, even though I guess he was a Red Sox. But at the same time, you got to give him his his due. He was a great, uh, great hitter in the. He was just a great hitter, hitter. Period. But I mean, for Yankees, I would say Derek Jeter, uh, Reggie Jackson, and Bay Ruth were the best, um, probably the most clutch players. But maybe that'll be another sh episode. Anyway, anyways, moving on. 1977 World Series Game Six. He was three for three with three home runs and five RBIs, one walk. And that was the uh, 
the first time that anybody hit three home runs since Babe Ruth did it, and Ruth did it twice. Which um, And actually, that leads me to another trivia question. Who did Reggie Jackson hit a home run off of in Game 6 of the 1977 World Series? And like I said, there's three of them. So who were the three pitchers uh, that Reggie Jackson hit a home run off of in Game 6 of the 1977 World Series? And if you can name the innings too, uh, feel free. But you can feel free to tweet me again, like I said, at HistoricNYY or email me at HistoricPinstripes at gmail.com. Um, and another game I just wanted to mention was 1978 American League Championship Series Game 3 against the Kansas City Royals. Paul Splitorf was the pitcher. Um, and the Yankees would later on go on to win. But uh, Reggie Jackson was a big, big part of it. He actually tied the game in the second inning with the solo home run. And then I guess they they uh, lost the lead. Then he tied the game back up in the fourth inning with an RBI single. So then after after they tied the game in the fourth inning, um, Reggie Jackson ended up hitting a go-ahead sack fly, scoring Roy White in the sixth inning. And the Yankees ended up winning the game in the eighth inning um, on a go-ahead two-run home run by Thurman Munson off of Doug Bird and uh of course, the Yankees won that series and the game. So that that was another big moment for Reggie Jackson. And of course, the best right fielder really in all of baseball, or the best player in baseball history, in my opinion anyway, is Babe Ruth. Um, Babe Ruth, uh, also known as George Herman Ruth, or the Colossus of Clout, uh, the King of Swing, um, the Sultan of Swat, I think it was the King of Crash. Um, he, he was an outfielder, pitcher. He didn't really pitch that much with the Yankees. I think he had like... He pitched like five games and had like one start with the Yankees or something like that. He was six foot two, two hundred fifteen pounds, which is of course uh, quite big for a pitcher of that of that era. Um, Babe Ruth was born in eighteen eighty five in Baltimore. He passed away in nineteen forty eight. Uh, he was fifty three years old. Um, April twenty seventh. Um, that's the National Babe Ruth Day, um, and that was the same day that he had the speech in nineteen forty seven. Um, on, uh, when the Yankees had Babe Ruth Day in Yankee Stadium, because he, I think he he had passed away of cancer, and then I they just kind of honored him, and I think that's probably when they gave him the monument, put the monument out in Yan- Yankee Stadium, retired his number, and all that. And in his career, he had a win above replacement of one eighty two point five, which I would imagine must be if it's not the highest, if it's not the highest wins above replacement, it's got to be right up there. Babe Ruth played twenty two seasons. Um, 15 seasons with the Yankees, and his career had over 10,000 plate appearances, um, 2,174 runs scored, 2,873 hits, 506 doubles, 136 triples, 714 home runs, 2,214 RBIs, 123 stolen bases, a 342 batting average, 474 on base percentage, a 640 slugging percentage, which is... um. An all-time high for anybody. Nobody's ever had that many. Um, he had a 206 on-base plus slugging adjusted for his career as well, which is, again, another all-time high. No one has a higher on-base plus slugging adjusted than than Babe Ruth does in, in, in the history of baseball. Um, but in his Yankees career, he has 9,202 plate appearances, 2,518 hits, 424 doubles, 659 home runs, an all-time high. Yankee record, 1,978 RBIs, had a 349 batting average, a 484 on base percentage, and, and that was in his Yankees career of uh, 15 seasons. 
and a 209 on base plus slugging adjusted as well. He's had a phenomenal, uh, phenomenal tenure in, in pinstripes. 1923, he won his first MVP, his first and only MVP actually, which is uh, quite surprising. Um, he uh, played in 152 games, 649 plate appearances, 151 runs scored, led the league, 41 home runs, 130 RBIs, 19 stolen bases, 170 walks that year, led the league, 93 strikeouts, led the league. That was his highest of his career as well, which is not so bad considering the players of today and how and how much more they strike out nowadays. But of course, it's it's a little bit different. Um, and Babe Ruth was kind of the first guy to really hit a lot of home runs. Um, however, he did hit 393 in 1923 as well. And he had a 545 on-base percentage, which is incredible. A 239 on-base plus slugging adjusted as well. So 1923 was definitely a great year for Babe Ruth. Um, and probably one of the greatest years of all time. Um, but anyways, Babe Ruth it was not just a power hitter. Like, even in 1924, he won the batting title. He hit 378. Um, so, um, he, he was not, definitely was not just a power hitter. Uh, he had 10 seasons. He hit the most home runs in the majors. Um, in 12 in his career. He had two seasons with the Red Sox that he had the most in the majors. And with the Red Sox, he was, um, he was primarily just a pitcher. However, he did play in the outfield once in a while as well. But just the fact that, like, just the fact that he pitched in the beginning of his career—that's that's how many home runs he probably missed. So he probably could have had a lot more home runs in his career if he played just outfield throughout his entire career. Um, however, I mean, um, it's still incredible the fact that um, you know a pitcher led the league in home runs. But it just tells you how the game was different back then and how Babe Ruth really changed the game. Um, um, but anyways, moving on, he had four seasons where he had 54 or more home runs, 13 seasons of 34 or more home runs um, in his career, and 13 seasons of a, with a 301 batting average or higher. Uh, also in 1933, 1934, he was part of the first two All-Star games. Uh, 1920 to 1931, he was first in wins above replacement every single year. Um, so in a his lowest batting average actually was was just 288, which really isn't that bad. Um, he had an ERA title in 1916 when he was a pitcher with the Red Sox, 1.75 ERA that year in 1916 with uh, 40 starts, and he also put, pitched in 44 games. He uh, pitched in 323 in the third innings pitched, and he also had 35 complete games the next year in 1917, which led the league. His career pitching in the postseason, he had a .87 ERA, three starts, two complete games, one shutout, um, 31 innings pitched, 19 hits, one home run given up, and 10 walks, and .94 walks and hits per innings pitched. So he was uh, pretty dominant in the postseason um, as a pitcher for the Red Sox anyway. As a hitter, Babe Ruth was one of the most clutch hitters of all time. He played in 41 games, 167 plate appearances, 15 home runs, 33 RBIs, 326 batting average, 470 on base percentage in the postseason, and a 96 total bases. He also had a win probability added of 1.20, which is um, very, very good. Um, so Babe Ruth was definitely clutch. He had one hit with Boston in the postseason. With a, it was a triple, uh, two RBIs, 1918 World Series against the Cubs. And, of course, they won the World Series. Um, 
And also, he had one home run in every World Series that he played with the Yankees, except for 1922. And I think that was against the New York Giants. Um, but 1926 in the World Series versus the Cardinals. And he, he killed the Cardinals in the World Series in 1926 and 1928. But 1926, the, the, with the Cardinals, he batted 300. He had four home runs, five RBIs, a stolen base, and he played in all seven games. And uh, also... He walked 11 times in that series as well. And he hit in every single game in the 1923 World Series. He hit in the last 10 World Series games that he played. And also, uh, 1926 in the World Series, Game 4 versus the Cardinals. Of course, that was his first three-home run, three run game. Um, he had four RBIs that game, three for three. 1928 World Series, Game 4. Versus the Cardinals, that was his second three-home three run game. The only person to ever hit three home runs in a game. I think there are a couple other players that have hit three home runs now. Obviously, Reggie Jackson, like I mentioned before. But I, Pablo Sandoval also hit three home runs. And I, Although, I don't know if he did that in the World Series. I think he did. Um, but I think somebody else might have done it in the in Division Series play. But anyways, uh, Babe Ruth also had two or more hits from the 1927 World Series in Game 4 against the Pirates to the 1928 World Series of Game 4 against, of course, the Cardinals, who he, he absolutely killed the Cardinals. They must have been sick of him after the 1928 World Series. Um, in 1932 World Series, that's the game where Babe Ruth hit the called shot. Pretty much, the it's kind of like a legend. It's kind of like, I guess a lot of, there's a lot of people that don't really, they're not really sure if he did, um, did uh, call his own shot, but there's a lot of people that really feel like he really did call his own shot. Um, and actually, if you look at some of the footage, some of the photos of him kind of uh, giving it back to the Cubs dugout and the Cubs dugout giving it to him, and uh, he was he was like, it did actually look a lot like he was pointing to center field. Or he could have just been pointing to the pitcher, but it wouldn't, wouldn't have been very surprising if he did. However, I think just the fact that the legend exists is... Um, is the main thing like he Babe Ruth um he just transcends baseball and that was one of the biggest moments of basically the legend of Babe Ruth if you think about it but anyways that uh called shot happened in the fifth inning off of Charlie Root uh one out it was an 0-2 pitch and actually the very next batter which uh, um it seems like is, uh, a lot of people might, might forget is Lou Gehrig actually homered uh right after Ruth in 1932 after the called shot so they went back to back. Of course, Gehrig was was kind of like Roger Maris. He didn't really like the spotlight that much. And you know, Gehrig was a one of the best teammates I'm sure ever, and definitely one of the best Yankees ever. Um, I mean, there's a reason why he was the really the the first ever official captain. Because actually, uh, that's kind of interesting too. Is Babe Ruth was actually a captain? He was the first captain of the Yankees technically, but he uh, they quickly uh, I think it was actually like three or five days they they yanked it away from uh Babe Ruth because um Babe Ruth he, uh he was getting a lot of heat in the media or uh, the fans and I guess the fans were kind of they were riding on Babe Ruth a lot uh throughout the throughout one of the games that they were playing when he was recently called captain and um he, he ended up uh going into the crowd and actually I think he he might have punched one of the fans or I don't. I'm not sure exactly if he punched a fan or or whatever it was, but he got in a fight with some some of the fans anyway. And the Yankees got Yankees decided to 
Babe Ruth was going to be their captain, and they ended up giving it to Lou Gehrig, of course. But um, moving on, um, another thing about Babe Ruth, like I mentioned, he killed the Cardinals in the World Series. He walked eight more times after the three-home run game in 1926 in the World Series Game 4 and intentionally walked once more as well. And um, and, and that was in one game uh, in Game 4 in the World Series. Uh, he had one at-bat, though, and he hit a home run. So... That's uh that's how that's how much he killed the Cardinals in the World Series. Um, but anyways, moving on to the top five ranking portion of the program, the top five Yankees right fielders, in my opinion, are Babe Ruth, Reggie Jackson, Roger Maris, Paul O'Neill, and Tommy Henrik. Um, I kind of went back and forth with Tommy Henrik and Hank Bauer. Um, I I feel like you could even put Dave Winfield in there too, maybe even Lou Pinella, but. I just feel like Tommy Henrik was a little bit better than um, than Bauer and Pinella. Winfield, however, I, I did think about putting him in there fifth, but I feel like Henrik, um, I feel like just his time, like, I mean, even though it wasn't Winfield's fault, like he didn't, it's like you need a team, of, the, the whole team has to make the postseason. However, I think, um, you know, they did make the postseason in 1981 with Winfield, However, I feel like Tommy Henrik, um, you know, he just he just seemed like he had a lot more big moments, and that's ultimately why I went with him. Also, another thing about Henrik was, you know, he didn't really strike out a whole lot. I don't think Winfield struck out a whole lot either for a guy his size. But I mean, I I just I I feel like Tommy Henrik was be- a little bit better. Um, just looking at the numbers, because you know I didn't, wasn't around back then in the '40s. Um, Paul O'Neill, of course, he's definitely one of my favorite Yankees. Um, I got to see, I remember him watching him play. He was a uh, definitely talk about a guy who uh, wore his heart on his sleeve. He cared a whole lot about about uh, being a Yankee and wanting to win. And that uh, so Paul O'Neill is definitely one of the best Yankees uh, right fielders of all time. Roger Maris. Um, which really needs no explanation. Um, two-time MVP, uh, 61 home runs. Reggie Jackson, I just felt like, uh, and I, this was another one too. I decided to go with Reggie Jackson over Roger Maris because um, I just kind of felt like Reggie Jackson was just more consistent throughout. Even though he only played five years with the Yankees, I think uh, Roger played seven seasons with the Yankees. Um, however, Reggie's time, he year to year, I think he was a little bit better. Um, but Roger was very, very good as well, though. So, I mean, it, like I said, these top five lists are subjective, but um, I just wanted to explain it a little bit just to let you know how I was thinking with making these lists and to let you know also that um, to feel free to share your own top five uh, right fielders. Um, I thank you again all for listening. And again, my top five Yankee right fielders are Babe Ruth, Reggie Jackson, Roger Maris, Paul O'Neill, and Tommy Heinrich. So... Thank you all for listening, everybody. And again, feel free to share your own top fives on uh, Twitter at HistoricNYY or on Facebook. Um, and uh, you can feel free to email us as well at HistoricPinstripes at gmail.com. And uh, look, looking forward to doing getting another episode out to you um, in the next week. And also uh, stay tuned for the next Historic Pinstripes Challenge, um, which will be our third one kind of coming up later this week. So have a great day, everyone, and as always, go Yankees! (laughs) 